training the next generation, raising up the next generation, and letting the blessings of God flow generation to generation. Because isn't this what we're about? We're not just here for ourselves. We're here to raise up the next generation and see them uh, go, go higher than we have. And this is what God really was all about with the nation of Israel. It's what they were, they, they were all about. You study Jewish culture. It's what it was all about, raising up the next generation, training the children in a certain way, training them how to live, training them how to succeed, training them how to get everything uh, that God said they could have poured into their kids who had poured into their kids who had poured into their kids. And I don't know, you know, uh, if you look at the Jewish culture just in America, that if you look at the number of the percentage of millionaires, the percentage of scientists, the percentage of uh, people who have been highly successful, the Jewish community makes up a completely disproportionate size in those statistics. And I have to believe it goes back to the tradition of the way God told them to train their kids. I really do. I, because it's not, about, it, it's, it's not just about us. It's about raising up the next generation and pouring into them. Amen? Hallelujah. That's why the Christian church, one of the greatest reasons the Christian church has been so powerful around the world is they go to raise up kids, raise up the next generation. Two Sundays ago, I had uh, a missionary with us named uh, Vijay Bala, Dr. Vijay Bala. He is a PhD in reproductive biology. And God called him out of that to raise up and reproduce churches. And if you know his story, he was raised uh, under a whole generation of young men and women who came up under two IPHC missionaries, Hobart and Marguerite Howard. They went over and they started, they started an orphanage and they started raising up the next generation. I mean, often when we think about missions, we don't think like that. We want immediate salvations and immediate evangelistic results, but they went over to raise up the next generation. Amen? It's powerful. So I'm going to show you this concept in Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I usually always read this or portion of this when we do baby dedications. But um, if you can handle it, I'm just going to read the entire chapter. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you or commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you're crossing over to possess. What's happening here is Deuteronomy is the second Deutero, second Namas law. It's the second giving of the law. God's already given the law. He's already, we already have Exodus and Leviticus behind us. But now before Moses goes on, before Moses goes to meet his maker, God is having him tell the Israelites again what they need to do to obey God, have a relationship with God, and succeed in life. Okay? So this is the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy 6, 2. What you may, that you may, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. Right from the get-go, it's not about you only. It's about the next generations. All the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. 
So God is telling them, I'm giving you the secret to success. I'm giving you the secret of long life. I'm giving you the secret of how to succeed. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The term in uh, Hebrew is Shema. Uh, one great Rabbi Hillel from the first century B.C. said all of Jewish theology is wrapped up in that one sentence and the rest of the Hebrew scriptures is just commentary on it. Verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words, and Jesus reiterated that at least three times in His teaching. Verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three generations, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you, for the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and, you, and destroy you from the face of the earth, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massa or in Massa. This Jesus quoted this in his... Uh, battle with Satan. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. When your son, again to the generations here, when your son asks you in time to come saying what is the meaning of this testimonies the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. He brought us out to bring us in. He brought some of you out to bring you in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers, and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our God always, for our good always rather, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. When, then, then it will be righteousness for us if we, if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Can somebody say amen? amen. Say it with me, raising up, raising up. the next generation. I want to pick this apart before we get into some teaching points here. The Shema, verses 3 and 4, are considered the heart of all Israel theology. And God is giving them these instructions so that they may multiply greatly and prosper in the land that He's given them. Right? He says in verse 5, Then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So he's calling out to them 
to really get into relationship to where they love God with everything in them. That's the heart of all theology, isn't it? It's what Jesus said. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus added that to the Shema. But love the Lord your God with all your heart, the Levav in Hebrew, which is really the seat of intellect. It's the seat of intellect and the mind. And love Him with your soul, your nephesh, which really is your entire being. It really, you know, in Greek uh, philosophy, they really separated the soul out as a separate entity, but the Hebrews didn't do that. Man is one whole being. So love God with all of your being, everything in you, and then love Him with your strength. Love Him with everything you do. This is the heart of it all. This is the heart of the Bible right here. Love God with your mind, your intellect. Love Him with every ounce of your being, spirit, soul, body. Love Him in the actions you perform. And then he said, in these words, verse 6, that I command you today shall be in your heart, verse 7, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And the term teach here has the idea of repeat, 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 to engrave. One scholar put it like this, to drill into them. To drill into your children these commandments. Engrave them on their hearts. Speak of them. Talk about this when you're at home or when you're on a journey. And then he says, bind them to your forearm and to your forehead. And I think it's figurative here, obviously, that it should be in all of our might and strength and all of our thinking. The commandments of God being always before us in everything we touch and do. But in latter Jewish tradition, of course, they started making the phylacteries, which were little leather boxes filled with little scrolls of certain portions of the Old Testament Torah. And they would put them in there and then bind them to their wrists and with leather straps, and then bind them under their forehead with leather straps. And of course, Jesus criticized this in the New Testament because of the uh, religious legalism of the Pharisees, that they thought it was all in these actions, but they had lost the heart of the message. But I was in, last time I was in the Jerusalem airport, it was, or Tel Aviv airport, it was interesting that uh, you'll, you'll never see this anywhere in the world, but in the airport, there was a shop where you could go in and they would bind you up so you could have prayer. And they'd put the phylacteries on your head and on your forearm and bind you up a little store in the airport. You won't see that at Norfolk. <laughs> Very interesting. And then he says, you are to put them on your door frames. So in latter Jewish tradition, they, they have the little mezuzah because the word here comes from the mezuzah, which is, again, a little scroll with certain scriptures from the Torah in there attached to the doorframe. And Jews will come in and kiss it or whatever, acknowledging that everything they have is centered on the commandments of God. That their life is to be all about the commandments of God. And then he says, they'll be written on your gates, which speak of the cities. That the cities in Israel, were to be dedicated to the Lord and were to display the commandments of God. So the Old Testament law wasn't a bummer. 
We often think in Christianity of the Old Testament law as something that was a real a binding thing, a confining thing, but it wasn't at all. When they received the law, they received it with grace. They considered it an act of grace. That God had given them His mind. That God was so gracious and so loving that He had actually given His people His heart. And you say, well, thank God we're not under the law anymore, Brother Hans. Well, it is true. If you read Galatians, you'll see that we're now saved by grace, not by works. But there's a lot, especially if you look into scholars like N.T. Wright, there's a lot of thinking that what Paul was really attacking was not Old Testament Torah. What he was attacking was the minutiae of legal rulings and laws that had been created around the time of Jesus by the Pharisees and scribes. That they created these thousands of laws as a fence around the Old Testament law that became just cumbersome and weighted people down and stole their freedom. And really that's what God was that's what Jesus was against not necessarily the Old Testament law, because the Old Testament law was the heart of God that stands forever. Now granted, all of the ceremonial law, I didn't mean to get off on all this, but it's the 9 o'clock crowd. Y'all can handle deep stuff, right? Not that the 11 o'clock can't, but I'm just buttering you up here, alright? But anyhow, so the Old Testament ceremonial law, the sacrifices, the temple worship, all of that has been not done away with, it's been fulfilled. It's an important word. Christ came to fulfill the law. So we no longer need the sacrifices because He's the ultimate sacrifice. We no longer need the temple because now Jesus has come in and become the sacrifice and all the Old Testament temple system is now moot. It's no longer needed. This is why he went on Temple Mount and drove out the money changers. It wasn't just because they were committing, you know, an offense to God, which they were. It was also a prophetic sign that this era of the temple has now ended. That's why he quoted Isaiah. There's a day coming. Isaiah 56, there's a day coming. When the eunuch shall no longer say, I'm a dry tree, but will have access into the temple of God. There's a day coming when the foreigner will have access into the presence of God. Before, those two, those two classes of people could not have access to the presence of God. But now under the new covenant, since the Old Testament worship system was done away with, now everyone has access to the presence of God by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Wow, we're going deep this morning. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Isn't this good? So now the moral heart of God has never changed, obviously, and is still expressed in His commandments. That's why Jesus reiterated, I think, all ten of the ten commandments in His teaching. Amen? Ten commandments are still the ten commandments. are still... Just because we're under grace doesn't mean you shouldn't... doesn't mean you can murder people now. Just because we're under grace doesn't mean you can commit adultery now. This is still the Word of God, people. Well, somebody shout amen. amen. Let me give you three things on how we can raise up the next generation. If you have kids, if you don't have kids, 
If you're married or if you're single, this is good for all of us to hear. I think it really goes with a where, what, and why. Three questions here that are answered. Where, what, and why. First of all, he talks about the location. We should teach at home. Our homes should become learning centers. It should become, they should become learning centers for the gospel. Your children should learn the gospel first at home, not in, not in FOL kids, though, we, though we, we're going to preach it in there. But they should learn it first at home. Your, your youth should first learn the gospel from you at home and not just from youth group, though we love the youth group. They're going to get it there too. But the first place is at home. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you go to Nags Head. And when you go to bed at night. And when you go to the mountains. It's not like we're taking a vacation, kids. We're not going to talk about anything related to God over the next week. No, if He's the center of your heart, you're going to talk about Him when you drive down the road. You're going to talk about Him at the breakfast table. You're going to talk about Him at the dinner table. You're going to talk about Him at night. You're going to talk about Him when you're on vacation. You can't get away from it. And I don't understand this. You know, I mean, it's okay to take a Sunday off and do that's That's fine. I understand it. But I don't understand the mentality, oh, thank God we got a Sunday free and don't have to go to church. I was glad when they said unto me. I woke up this morning excited to come to church. I was excited to get in here and worship. I was excited to take communion with you guys. I'm excited to see some people give their lives to Jesus today. Oh, hallelujah. I'm excited. When I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Your house becomes the teaching center. The teaching center. According to the ancient Jewish commentary, the primary topic of discussion in the home should be about the Lord should be how do we make the Word of God our value system? Are you making the Word of God your value system in your family? The value system for making decisions. Do you consider the Word? Do you give thought to prayer? Do you ask the Lord to help you? It's really simple. It's not rocket science. It's simple. Just ask the Lord's direction. Seek guidance from the Word. Talk to spiritual people that you trust. And then, let your lives be lived in harmony with the Word. And if we live our lives in harmony with the Word, our children will see it, our family will see it, our friends will see it, that we're living in harmony with the Scriptures. Our kids will also see we're not perfect. And I think they need to see that. We're not perfect, we're authentic. But we are basing our lives on Scripture. And we're letting the Scripture dictate the values in our household. Okay? Let me just, can I just get right down raw with you? Yeah, Hollywood doesn't dictate the values for your family. Disney does not dictate the values for your family. The public schools do not dictate the values for your family. The Bible and your faith should dictate the values for your family. It's your family. Not the government's family. Not the state of North Carolina's family. 
It's your family. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You determine how your family will be trained and how your family will grow up. Somebody shout hallelujah. You may say, well, you're just a southerner, Hans. No, I'm just a Christian. Amen? Home. Everybody say at home. Second thing really answers the what question. Verses 10 through 19. What are we to teach? We're to teach. As I see this, we're to teach who is the source of all of our blessings. Listen, he said, So it shall be, verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, when you have eaten and are full, that gives you a golden opportunity to be able to say, hey guys, you know why we have all this? Because of Jesus, because of the Father, we serve a good, good Father who provides everything that we have need of. We're blessed because God is a blesser. We're blessed because He's good. He is the source of all blessings. That's why we're living as a blessed people because He's the source of all blessings. When God answers your prayer and provides something for you, let your family know this comes from the Lord. Let them know. Hallelujah. Every, most everything I buy, I don't, know, I don't know if this is biblical, but most everything I buy, I dedicate to the Lord. I buy new guitars, I, de- I anoint them, and I dedicate them to the Lord. I buy a new pedal board, which that's, I never buy a new pedal board. The guitar players will know. I dedicate, every, I dedicate my amps, I dedicate my vehicles, I dedicate my house. Our house had so much anointing oil over the center of the doorpost, you could see it when you walked through our house. I dedicate it all. Why? Because I know it comes from Him. And when I get to thinking Hans did all this, I slip over into arrogance and pride which is a dangerous place to be with the Lord. It was the original sin that caused Satan, a, 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 a divine angel, to become Satan. It was that, that original sin was pride. And I don't want to slip over into that. I want to be confident, but I don't want to slip over into, I can make all this happen myself and it, myself and it doesn't matter. I want to give glory to God and thanks to God for everything He has done. Come on, I think everybody should be clapping. We want to give glory to God. He's the one. He's why we're here this morning. He gave us breath. He gave us life. He gave us health. He gave us the ability to own a coat or own a pair of whatever you got on. Everything comes from Him. All good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. And the Jewish culture, they understood this. That's why they honored Sabbath. Why they honored God. You know, even the latter traditions of wearing the yarmulke on the head to honor that they're always under the authority of God everywhere they go. We're going, even though we might be wealthy people, we're still honoring God as the source of all of our wealth. Can somebody shout amen? amen. Philippians 4 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Paul was talking to a church there who had supported him in ministry. And my, my philosophy, and contextually speaking, if you've been given to the Lord, you have a right to pray that verse and pull it down into your life. 
If you're a tither, you have rights as a tither to say, Lord, the devourer shall not overcome and eat up my bank account and eat up my goods and sustenance. But I stand by faith. I've been tithing faithfully. I've been giving offerings to the Lord. And now I believe that my God shall supply all of my need according to not my bank account, according not to Wall Street, but according to His riches in glory. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. You say, but what if you haven't been tithing and giving? Well, you figure it out. Matthew chapter 6, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Matthew 7, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give you good things if you ask Him? God is not stingy. Luke Luke 12, Consider the ravens, Jesus said. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have a storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Psalm 34.10, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 84, for the Lord is a sun and shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Matthew 21, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Gen- I'm just going to keep pounding these, hallelujah. Genesis 22, Abraham lifted up his eyes when he took Isaac to sacrifice him. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of this place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. Come on, that needs to be your your battle cry. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. This is what we're to teach our kids. Sometimes I think we just raise misers. We need, or, 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 or kids with no discipline, we need to raise kids who understand the cycle of blessing from heaven. If you do righteously, you give and you tithe, you save and you invest as the Bible teaches, and you use your brain, God will bless you. His intentions are to bless you. And if you get the wind knocked out of you, you lose everything you have, you have to declare bankruptcy, God is a God of a second chance, as our billboard says right across the road. He's a God that can pick you back up and restore everything. If disaster comes to your life, He's a God who came to Job and gave him twice in the end of all the blessings he had before. He can come and give you double for all the trouble you walk through in this life. Because my God isn't out to beat us up or just seeking to burn us with hellfire at every turn. He's seeking to bless us. He said in Deuteronomy 28, these blessings shall pursue you. They will chase you down in the streets. Oh, hallelujah. I love people with a positive attitude that understand the cycle of blessing because they see blessings coming from everywhere. And they, they maintain a humble heart. But I've also seen people who are constantly lacking and constantly complaining and do not have a thankful heart. 
I want to be in the believing crowd. I've told this story before, but I never forgot. I had a friend. He and his wife pastored in our conference years ago. They both had PhDs and both brilliant people. And, uh, but they were extreme faith people, man. And they started pastoring a small church in the Richmond area. And I had this, at one time, a, tra- a van. I had a big, long, white Dodge van that we used to travel in. And uh, it was a nice van, by the way. And I remember one day I went to see this couple, and I pulled in at their church, and the pastor was looking out the front window or something, and he came out the front door immediately before I even got out of the truck. And he said, oh, Brother Hans, it's you. I just knew when I saw that van, God had provided me a brand new van. Because I've been praying, and I just knew when it pulled on the driveway, it was mine. Well, I didn't give him my van. I don't know if that was a hint or not, but I didn't give it to him. But nonetheless, I loved his faith. Here it comes. That must be what I've been praying for. Hallelujah. How many of us think we're like the church in the book of Acts? They were praying for Peter to be released from prison. And an angel came and released Peter from prison. And he came back to the prayer meeting where they were and he knocked on the door. And they said, who is it? Is it? It's Peter. To be sure, it's not Peter. Tell me it's not Peter. And they went back. He was like, yeah, it's Peter. I think God's answered your prayers, man. Maybe you should have a little more faith. Maybe we should be believing more for the things we've actually been asking and actually expect those things we've been praying. Come on, does anybody hear me in here? Maybe you should start expecting to see the things you've been praying for. How many of y'all praying for some children to be saved? Let's start looking any moment for them to walk through these doors. Come on, let's expect any moment for them to give us a phone call. Text us, Dad. Mom, I want to come back to the faith. I'm coming home. Oh, hallelujah. Play that in your mind. Let that be a point of faith that you hold on to. That if they're raised in this way, when they're old, they will not depart from it, but God will come knocking on their door. Doesn't matter how far they go. They can go to California or Hawaii or Asia or the islands of the sea. If there's no distance with the Holy Ghost, He's still going to pursue them because they understand what you've poured into them. Come on, give the Lord a praise in here this morning. Hallelujah. Then the final thing is we, it really answers the why. What should we, what do we tell our kids? What do we teach our kids? I wish I had another hour. Thank you. I was saying, ain't no amens coming on that, but there's so much I could lay down here. What are you to teach them? He, they said, God said this in verse 20, when your son comes and asks you, hey dad, what's the meaning of all this? Why do we have these laws? Why do we have these rules? Why do we celebrate these certain days? Why do we do a Sabbath? Why, why, why do we do all this? What's all this about? Then he said, you can answer them and said, son, we were slaves in Egypt. And God brought us out to bring us into the blessings. What's that mean for us? You can say, well, son, I was once lost. I was on my way to a devil's hell. And there was no hope for me. Nothing I could do could assuage the guilt in my heart or take away the sin that I'd committed. But one day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
And He changed everything. And now I am who I am because of what He's done in my life. That's why we go to church every Sunday. That's why we pray over meals. That's why I bless you when you leave in the mornings. That's why I teach you the Word of God. That's why we make decisions based upon the Word. That's why we send you to camp in the summers. My daughters, I sent them to camp for the first time. And they threw a fit. Camp? Are we going to have to wear long blue jean skirts? Or is it going to be, what's it going to be like? I mean, they were freaking out. I said, well, you're going to camp. So guess what? They went to camp. And since I'm one of the conference ministers, I went down to get them a night early because it was about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive for us. And the bishop looks at me and he says, hey, come on in. Come on into the worship service. And so I was like, okay. So I'll start walking into the worship service, and I met one of my daughters. I'll leave nameless. She, what are you doing here? You need to leave now. She was having such an awesome time. She didn't want Dad to come in and mess up that awesome time she was having. You know what I did? I left. It's the only time I've ever been kicked out of church in my life was by one of my daughters. I said, fine. You know what happened to those girls there? They got saved. They got, I mean, they grew up in a, in a Christian home. You kind of grow up saved, but you need that experience that said, this is what happened to me. They got set on fire for Jesus because I made them go to camp. This is why we do this. This is why we do this. Something happened. You know, it's amazing. When I look at Christian families, there's usually, everyone should have a testimony that gets saved. But sometimes, or usually even, there's a great testimony somewhere in the ancestry. There's a great testimony of a mom, of a dad, of a grandfather, of a great-grandfather who really pulled the whole family into the stream of blessing. I think about Kezia in our church who's from India. Her grandmother has been here many times and is such a saint of God. She tells the story of her father in India who was a tapioca farmer. And he had planted an entire field. And and he heard there was an American evangelist coming to India who needed a large field to hold a crusade meeting. So he went and dug up all that he had planted. And the village thought he was crazy. But that young evangelist was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham came and held a crusade meeting there. And you can talk, you can talk to her about the blessings that their family has walked in. His picture is in the Billy Graham library there in Charlotte somewhere. It's when you have a testimony like that in your background, you can connect the dots and see why God has blessed you so much. I think about my grandfather on my mother's side, who was a coal miner out of the hard stone cold hard mountains of West Virginia, and he got saved. He got radically saved. He said, Hans, I had a dream and God showed me hellfire, and that's where I was going, and I gave my life to the Lord. How's that for seeker-sensitive Christianity? 
And he got saved and it changed the whole family. And they prayed. And I used to stay with them as a little boy. My mom would go to work and drop me off in the mornings and my grandparents would keep me. And I, you know, I remember some of this, some of it I don't. But they would lead me by the hand and show me a picture of Jesus. And my granddad would say, you're going to be our little preacher, aren't you, Hans? And even at that age, I thought, do preachers make any money? I don't think that's what I should be doing. And then they said they would take me across the street to their friends who had a little sewing shop. And they would say, this is our little preacher. I, I, this is wild. I didn't even think about this. They were telling me these stories once I got saved. But then the rest of the family started coming in. And you look back, I'm telling you, you turning to the Lord is going to affect I don't know how many generations in the future. Come on, I have so much to say. I want to say one more thing and we're going to pray here this morning. I want you to look at 1 Kings, just, just real briefly, 1 Kings chapter 21. There was a man named Naboth. Naboth had a vineyard that was evidently beautiful. He was a Jezreelite and it was next to the palace of Ahab. Ahab did not do well in choosing a wife. His wife was a woman named Jezebel. She was not from Israel. She was a foreigner who didn't understand the ways of Israel. So what happens? Ahab, who was a wimp, comes back and snivels around to his wife that Naboth wouldn't give him his vineyard because he wanted that vineyard and asked Naboth for it. And this is what Naboth said. Verse 2, Ahab said, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden. Verse 3, Naboth said, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. It's in the book of Leviticus. The Israelites were never to sell a piece of land. Because it was given to them by inheritance by God. They were not to trade pieces of land between tribes. Because they were designated according to tribes, their land was given by inheritance. And when King Ahab, even the king, couldn't convince this man against the commandments of God. I know I can't do this. This land was given to me by inheritance of my fathers. So what happens? So Jezebel works a scheme to where the people of the village stoned Naboth and killed him. And then Ahab got to take his vineyard. But the story wasn't over because God sent a prophet to him named Elijah. And his days were numbered. Because you can pull off some things, but God sees everything that happens. So here's why, why did I read that? Don't, don't abdicate, don't sacrifice, don't sell out the inheritance you have of faith. Pass it on to your kids. Think about that. This isn't just about you. It isn't just about Hans. It's about the next generation, and then the next generation, and then the next generation. Don't sell out your faith just because you 
are lazy. Just because you're lazy in the things of God, don't rob your kids of an opportunity to serve God and be on fire. Is that strong enough? Determine in your heart, I'm going to pass this mantle down to my son and daughter. I'm going to pass it down to my nieces and nephews. I'm passing it down to my brothers and sisters. I'm giving it to my work associates and, associates and colleagues. I'm passing this faith on. Because when I leave here, you can't, you can't, when you leave here, I, if, if I end up preaching your funeral, I have preached hundreds, I guess, of funerals. And I have never once seen Park next to the hearse. I usually drive around and get in behind the hearse and go to the funeral, go to the gravesite. I wait and walk in front of the casket. I have never seen U-Haul, Ryder, two guys with a truck. I've never seen any of those companies show up carrying all your goods to the next side because none of them are going with you. That fishing pole's going to rot. That gun's going to rust. That basketball is going to deflate. The softballs are going to be in tatters. The TV is going to be useless. The golf clubs are going to rust like mine. The clothes are going to get worn and tattered. The bank account will be useless. The investments in 401k will be what you can't take with you. What you can take is the faith in your heart that you passed on to others that you will meet over on the other side. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm Hans Hess. Thank you so much for watching today. And I just pray that this service has been a great blessing to you. Listen, many of you out there have needs. You have needs physically. You want healing in your body or you have uh, oppression or anxiety you're dealing with or, or the weight of an addiction or sin in your life. Whatever the issue is, you know, Jesus can handle it. And I want to pray for you today before we leave here and just believe God for the best in your life. You're a winner in Christ. I've read the end of the book and we win in the end. So pray with me this brief prayer. Come on, mean it with all of your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me of all my sin and wash it away. Heal my body. Touch my mind, Lord. Bring total freedom to me today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And if you said that, you can say amen. And you know what? Each time a sports team wins a victory, they always have a celebration. So why don't go ahead right where you are and just thank God and give God some praise. Thanks for joining us. Stay in contact with us and uh, come back and visit us.